Well, good morning, church. Good morning to all of you who are in the room today. Thank you for being here. And for all of you who are watching and joining us for church online, thank you for joining us from wherever you are. So glad that we're able to gather here in this place today. And happy Super Bowl Sunday. I have no idea who's going to win the game tonight, but I am hoping for a good game and for maybe some good commercials. Anybody with me on that? My guess is that somebody somewhere will be really excited because their team won, and somebody somewhere will be sorely disappointed. And uh, that's kind of how it goes, right? As we, as we start to sort of land the plane on this series, we've got this week and next week, as we kind of draw this idea of leaning into the, the faithfulness of God, this series, not, not that idea. We always want to lean on the faithfulness of God. But as we draw this series to a close, I want to lean into that idea today about what happens when you experience disappointment. Not the kind of disappointment that happens when your football team loses. All of us who are Dallas Cowboy fans know all about that. We're not talking about that kind of disappointment. What happens when through the circumstances and the situations that come along in life, we experience those kinds of disappointments, the kind that, that, that make us begin to doubt the faithfulness of God. And here's what I want to suggest today. That until you trust the faithfulness of God, you'll never be able to remain faithful to God. Until you trust in the faithfulness of God, you will never be able to fully remain faithful to God. Uh, in 19, or 1895, there was a man by the name of W.E.B. Du Bois who graduated from Harvard University with his Ph.D., now, I would suggest that anytime, any year, anyone graduates from Harvard with a PhD, that's quite an accomplishment. But, but for this man, in, in his context, in his time, I think it was especially significant and impressive. W.E.B. Du Bois was the first African American to graduate from Harvard with a PhD. When he arrived on campus, he learned that Harvard wouldn't recognize his bachelor's degree he had earned at Fisk University. So before pursuing his doctoral studies, he had to earn another degree, a bachelor's degree from Harvard, so that he could then continue on with his Ph.D. work. And what's even more interesting is that because he was black, he wasn't allowed on campus after 6 p.m. So, so W.E.B. Du Bois, he knew something about struggle and suffering and disappointment and discrimination and all the things that he had to deal with in his day and in his time. And I want to share with you some words that he once wrote, these beautiful words that he once penned. He wrote these words, What are these songs? And what do they mean? They are the music of an unhappy people, of the children of disappointment. They tell of death and suffering and unvoiced longing toward a truer world. My guess is that at one point or another, we've all longed for a truer world. That was true for W.E.B. Du Bois back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And I believe that's still true for so many people here and around the world today. All of us are longing to be a part of a truer world. And that longing, it reveals, it reveals the reality that, that we're all a part of a world in which we experience mistruths and half-truths. We've been let down and lied to, disappointed more times than we 
can count. And the problem for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus is that whenever those disappointments begin to overwhelm us or overtake us, we begin to doubt the faithfulness of God. And as long as we doubt the faithfulness and the goodness of God, we'll never be able to live lives that remain faithful to God. We've we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed for God to do what only God can do. But I know I've done this and maybe you've done this too. You got tired of waiting. God's timing wasn't your timing or your timing wasn't his timing. Somehow those timelines weren't lining up. And so instead of relying on God, you decided to rely on yourself and take matters into your own hands. You were praying and praying and praying for God to deliver you from some temptation or or struggle or some issue or addiction that's going on in your life or in your world. And then when when that ugly thing reared its head again and it came at you one more time, you gave in. Because on some level, in some way, you didn't really trust that God could provide for you, take care of you, provide a way of escape for you, help you in that moment. Somewhere along the way, somewhere in your story, something happened to you or someone that you love. And if you wanted to get just really honest, the truth is you still, on some level, hold God responsible. You still blame God. You've still got questions for God. You're still wondering why that happened. If God is God and if God is good, then why God did that happened. And the truth is, as long as we spend time doubting the faithfulness of God, we're going to struggle to to live lives that remain faithful to God. And if you've ever doubted the faithfulness of God, the good news is you're not alone. In fact, this was precisely the problem in, in the days of the early church. For those first generation and second generation Christians who were living in the first and second centuries, if you can imagine being a part of that early church, just, just, just go back in time and just imagine that, that you're one of those first followers of Jesus living in the wake of the resurrection. You believe the story is true, that God's Messiah, God's Son, came from heaven to earth, and, and he died on that old rugged cross on Friday. He was buried in that tomb, and he remained there all the way through what had to be the longest Saturday in the history of the world. And then finally, Sunday came. And some women found their way to the tomb that morning. And when they arrived at the tomb, they discovered this incredible truth that Jesus wasn't there. He had risen. He was alive. And they ran back and they found the disciples and they told them. And that truth changed their lives forever. From that day forward, they went around sharing this good news. That Jesus is alive. He is risen. That everything has changed for everyone everywhere. And the best part of this news, one day Jesus is going to return. So living in this world with all of its unhappy songs, uh, living in this world with all of the the death and the suffering and the sorrow, one day we will get to experience when, when Jesus returns a truer world. We're going to We're going to live into the new heavens and the new earth. Things are finally going to be the way they were always supposed to be. But the problem, the problem for these early Christians is that that they deeply believed that this was going to happen any day. And as far as they could tell, Jesus hadn't returned yet. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, I want to invite you to open up to this little letter near the end of your scriptures, 2 Peter. We'll be in chapter 3. If you've been around uh, scripture or the church for very long, you probably know the name 
Peter. Peter, this is one of Jesus' first followers, um, closest friends, one of his disciples. We know Peter's story. Peter, this is the man who walked on water with Jesus. This is, this is the, 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 the one who, who, when the women came back and reported that the tomb was empty, Peter was one of those disciples that ran to the tomb to see with his own eyes that this was true. It was, it was Peter who preached that first sermon on Pentecost in Jerusalem where 3,000 people believed and were baptized that day and the church began. Now Peter, perhaps in his old age, is writing letters to different churches to encourage Christians everywhere to hold on to their faith, to believe in the faithfulness of God. And I want you to hear what Peter wrote to some of these early Christians in 2 Peter 3. We'll start in verse 3. He said, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? What happened to this promise? You, you believe that Jesus came, that Jesus is coming again. So where, where is he? If we're being honest, we probably don't live with the same hope and expectation that these first Christians lived with, they literally believed that any day in their lifetime, Jesus was going to return. So what happens when, when for whatever reason, that doesn't seem to be happening? What does that say about, what does that mean in terms of the faithfulness of God if God doesn't keep this promise in their lifetime? And Peter knew that as long as long as they doubted God's faithfulness to them, they would never be able to live lives that were faithful to God. And I don't know if this is the particular promise that you're holding on to today, but my guess is we're all holding on to a promise or two from God. And the question that so many of us wrestle with is if, if God is good and if God is faithful and if God is kind, God, will you keep this promise? Will you be faithful to me in this moment? <laughs> and will it happen in my lifetime? What does it mean about God? What does it say about God if it appears that God doesn't seem to keep that promise in that moment? And the reality is, is you may have some scoffers in your life. Peter says, I want to I I let you know about these scoffers that are going to come along and they're going to challenge going to challenge what you believe, and they're going to make you question what you believe. And the chances are there's some scoffers in your life. There may be a voice inside your head that's whispering things like, do you really believe? Do you really think? Is God really going to? You, you may have scoffers in your life, that, and they may be friends that you work with or people that are around you that are, that are questioning what you believe, questioning the promises that you're holding on to. Do you really think? Do you really believe? And Peter wanted them to know, and I think he would want us to know, that you can absolutely trust in the faithfulness of God. You can count on God because God has always kept his word. The very next verse, Peter writes this. I want you to hear this. In verse 5, Peter writes, They deliberately, these scoffers, they deliberately forget that God has made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up 
for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. How did the heavens and the earth, how was all of it created? It was created by the word of God. He spoke and universes were formed. Stars filled the sky. Light pushed back the darkness. There is power. There is wonder-working power in the Word of God. And it was by the Word of God that everything that was made was made. It's by the Word of God that in the days of Noah, God brought a flood. God kept His Word to Noah. There's going to be a flood that's going to destroy the earth in judgment. And that happened. And by that same Word, judgment will come again to this world. It won't be with water this time. It will be with fire. There's a day of reckoning, a day of judgment. There's going to come a time, a day, when God will keep his word again. You can trust God. You can trust in the faithfulness of God because God always keeps his word. And you can trust God, Peter says, because God's timing is always perfect. In the very next verse, Peter writes this. Verse 8, you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day? A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand, a thousand years is like a day. Now, I know I've shared this before, but, but growing up, word problems were the bane of my existence. I still have deep-seated wounds from fourth grade when word problems appeared on the scene for me. And I remember day after day coming home from school, having to, to, you know, the rule was do homework before anything else. And it would be the middle of the night before I would finish those word problems and had no idea if I did any of them right. I didn't know if the train left here then, when it would arrive there. It made no sense to me. And even now with, you know, my kids being home so much with virtual learning, they come downstairs, they need help with the math problem. And all the math problems these days are word problems. And, and sometimes we can figure it out. And sometimes I have to tell them, you're going to have to email your teacher. I have no idea. I'm not smarter than a third grader, a sixth grader, or an eighth grader. I just can't do it. So when I came to this, I started thinking, if a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, you know, how long, how long would a year be? How long would a day be? How long would a week be? How long would a month be? And and just asking those questions gave me anxiety. So I decided to reach out to a friend who loves word problems. I know he loves word problems because he's told me he loves word problems. So I emailed our friend Hiram Brown, and I have no reason to doubt his mathematical skills. And this is what Hiram told me. And you can check him if you like. I'm going to believe it's true. If a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, then one year would be like 365,000 years. One month could vary from 28,000 to 31,000 years, and one week would be like 7,000 years. In other words, if you were to read this literally, a day is an eternity in the kingdom of heaven and God's economy. If you've been waiting or wrestling with a problem for a day, God's been working on it for a thousand years. If you've been struggling with an issue for a year, that's been like 365,000 years for God. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, here's what, here's what I want you to think about. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, whatever time frame it is, your suffering, every moment of your suffering is magnified in the throne room of heaven. On the other hand, I don't want you to ever give up on God because if a thousand years is like a day, then a year has only been like 86.4 seconds for God. 
Uh, one month could vary between uh, 6.63 seconds and 7.34 seconds. In one week, it's like 1.66 seconds. So uh, you're praying and you're asking God, God, will you be faithful to me? God, will you help me with this? God, will you answer my prayer? God, will you keep your promise? And God's like, absolutely I will. And you're like, yes, but God, it's been like, you know, two whole years. And God says, yeah, really? That's like three minutes in, you know, on heaven's clock. For those early Christians to whom Peter was writing, he wanted to remind them. It hasn't been that long since Jesus ascended and returned to heaven. In fact, if scholars are right, and if 2 Peter was written around 65 AD, then it's only been about 46 minutes in heaven since Jesus returned in their day and time. And even today, if you've been wondering, why has it been so long? It's been 2,000 years since Jesus came. When is he going to return? 2,000 years? Oh, by the way, that's just two days in the kingdom of heaven. And there might be some good news there because we know what happens on day three. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, every moment of your suffering is magnified in the throne room of heaven. And every moment of your suffering is only a moment in the kingdom of heaven. And your Father in heaven, who will, by the way, exist outside of time, has promised that he is always, always, always watching over you. You can trust God's timing. You can trust that he's always working for your good and for his ultimate glory. You can trust that God knows, God sees, and God cares. And you can trust God. You can trust God, Peter says, because God loves us. God loves all of us. Verse 9, Peter writes, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. You see, God doesn't want anyone to perish. Just like any parent would be unwilling to make any decision that would result in any one of your sons or your daughters being lost, God doesn't want anyone to perish. God loves us. God loves all of us. And God is so patient. And his patience, it's a, it demonstrates his kindness towards us. He wants everyone to come to know of the great love of God revealed on the cross of Jesus Christ. God wants everyone to know how much he loves us. He's not being slow. He's being patient. He wants to give everyone as much time as possible to come to know about his great and unending and unfailing and unfathomable love. And for all of us who have received his love, who, who have confessed his son Jesus as the Lord of our lives, he wants you to know today he loves you. Oh, he loves you. And for those of you, maybe you're in the room, maybe you're watching online, and for whatever reason, you've yet to make that confession of faith. You've yet to say that Jesus is Lord. 
You've yet to step into those waters of baptism to to participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to say that I have decided to follow Jesus. He's being patient because he loves you. Jesus loves lost people. And I don't know about you, but but it's convicted me more and more even this week that I want to love people the way God loves people. I want to love lost people the way God loves lost people. I want us, church, to love lost people the way God loves lost people. He doesn't want anyone to perish. So what promise of God are you holding on to today? Uh, If you could ask the God of the universe to do something for you, what would it be? What's that prayer that you're praying over and over and over and over again? My guess is that today some of you are praying. Uh, You're praying for God to be your refuge and strength. Some of you are praying that God would give you that that way of escape, that he wouldn't put put anything on you that you couldn't bear or handle, that, that, that he would... He would be your rescuer, your deliverer, your savior, that his mercies would be new every morning. Some of you are praying that God would be that great healer, that great physician that he has promised to be. Some of you are praying that he would give you wisdom because he says in his word that he's faithful to give wisdom to anyone who asks. Some of you are are praying for God to do what only God can do. You're asking God. And you're holding on to the promises of God. And whatever promise you're holding on to today, this is what I want to remind you of. That you can trust God's word. You can trust God's timing. And you can trust God's character. Because God will never let you down. And if you find yourself today struggling to trust in the goodness and the kindness and the faithfulness of God, maybe it's it's because you've doubted his word. Maybe it's because you've got questions about his timing. Maybe it's because you're unsure. If he really does know, if he really does see, if he really does care, But God has always kept his word. He's never broken a promise. And while his timing may not be your timing, he's promised that he's always working all things together for your good and for his glory. And you can know that his love is patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. And so I want to close today with the same words that Peter closed this section with for his friends he was writing to. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting, and I know some of you are waiting, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in His sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Church, if you would, let's stand. We live in a world of broken promises. We live in a world, world where we've been let down and lied to and disappointed more times than we can count. 
And if you're struggling to remain faithful to God, it may be on some level because you've doubted the faithfulness of God. But I want to remind you today that the Lord our God is God. He is the faithful God who always keeps his covenant and lavishes his love on a thousand generations, on all those who love him and obey his commands. So let's keep waiting. Let's keep hoping And let's remain faithful because our God is good. He has a great name with a kind heart, and he is a faithful God. And his son Jesus, the one who came and had to borrow a manger to be born in and borrow a tomb to be buried in, that Jesus who rose from the grave on that Sunday, he's coming again. And according to Peter, that's a promise you can count on. Because our God always keeps his word. Let's sing.